Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, and today I'm talking with Stephen Flatro. Did I get it right? <laughs> Very close. Thank you. First try is on Filiatro. Filiatro. Yes. And uh, you go by Cyber Sensei on sure. Twitter. Um, you are running a really interesting podcast and blog, which we're going to be talking about today. Some of your insights mm. from your experience in Japan. Um, your blog is called Land of the Rising Sun, S-O-N. Right. So how did you choose your blog name? Well, I, um, you know, just using it as the uh, the S-U-N, just changing that up. So, but, but it's kind of like I, I want to be more so, I, I, it was too long to call it Land of the Rising Sun and Daughters. So I just, I thought I'd have to go with the S-O-N for the beginning there. So yeah, just to play on the um, the beautiful name that everybody's given Japan, the Land of the Rising Sun. Yeah. So I just thought I'd make a play on that. Yeah, no, yeah. it's easy to remember. And uh, beautifully designed. And originally, you're from Canada, is that right? Correct. Yeah, I was raised in a very small town in central British Columbia, actually. So it's about a it's a uh, about a five or six hour drive from Vancouver, and uh, it's kind of nestled in the pristine mountains of the interior of British Columbia on a very large, uh, beautiful lake called the Shuswap Lake. And funnily enough, the name of the town is Salmon Arm. So. There's the largest salmon run on the planet. Would come. It would come from the uh, the Pacific Ocean. It would come up the Fraser River, and there would be a large spawning um, event every every year. But every four years, I remember going there as a child for a, a field event, and there was a, this massive amount of all these salmon dying, and the bears were out having mm. having lunch. And yeah, so that's the, I'm I'm from the kind of the wild woolly woolly areas of British Columbia. Wow. So from yeah. Canada, and then now you're based in Chiba. Is that right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. I uh, I flew into Narita in, uh, in 1987 at the beginning of the year, and uh, I dropped into a town called Sawada, and I never left because there was never a reason to leave. Well, let's start with, um, because we're focused on sustainability, and I have to apologize in my PR that I put out, I describe you as a travel blogger. Now I have to explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, so I think your insights from your podcast, from your blog, are so interesting and so important if you are traveling or if you're an international resident in Japan. So not technically a travel blogger in terms of as people uh, introduce destinations, but definitely a travel blogger in terms of enhancing any traveler's experience or resident's experience as they travel around Japan or live in Japan. Um, right. I really appreciate your insights. Do you, you think that's from your varied work experience and life experience in so many years in Japan? How do you pick it up? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thank you so much for the kind compliment concerning the blog. I, um, yeah, I didn't really fancy myself a writer very much at the beginning, and and then I just I just kind of um, felt that the things that I had experienced in Japan, um, it would be interesting for other people to see, you know, uh, kind of from a firsthand perspective of you know what actually you know, many of the different things that, that happen in Japan or indeed about the language too as well, because as you know, this is a very, very fine, you know, it's the opposite of English basically, you know, so um, 
I like to I like to uh, show people the insight into the Japanese mind by, you know, um, kind of unpacking some of these um, extremely interesting terminologies that the Japanese have. So you're right. You know, in a way, you can use it as a kind of uh, before you come to Japan. So you know, there's some society, you know, kind of protocol lessons in there too as well. So you know, um, if you read the, some of the parts, you know, some of the blog, then you can find. Um, you know, these are kind of etiquette points that are important to the Japanese that um, if you do these things, then, you know, you'll, you'll really find a, your, your experience really kind of changes in a more meaningful way. And the Japanese feel, you know, when the Japanese feel comfortable with somebody because they, you know, you know that you're not supposed to, for example, take, you know, chopstick to chopstick thing. You know, when the, there's all of these things that are there. But, yeah, just through my experience, you know, I thought it would you know, I thought it would help people not only, um, you know, the, the uh, foreign community, who, whether they live in Japan or whether they, you know, are interested in Japan from outside. But also I, I, the blog and the podcast is also in Japanese, too, as well, because I think the Japanese kind of they don't they're not really aware of, of the beauty of many of the things that are, are present in the Japanese language and this Japanese society, the way the Japanese, you know, um, treat each other or, or how we are, how we harmonize here together in community and, and the aspect of the, the deep community that still exists in Japan. And I think it's so important for, you know, to, to emulate indeed in the world, you know, cause we see the fra fragmenting of the, the communities globally, you know, and you, uh, what I see on TV and so someone I see in Japan are these just two different things. So I want to you know, I want to show people these things, um, you know, the beauty of the Japanese language. You know, not all of the blogs, you know, have are, have a you know pleasant stories in them. For example, I wrote a a blog about the uh, the importance of the Japanese, you know, stamp. You know how we have to stamp, you know, the chop a hunkel. So I wrote a story about that, and uh, you know, I had this beautiful old farmer friend, and he was just the wonderful, most wonderful guy, and. And, uh, you know, he just was so, so down to earth. And, you know, we became very good friends. Actually, he owned a piece of property next to my house. And uh, his grandson, um, he gave the, you know, the hanko to his grandson. And, and his grandson went and spent 110 million yen on the horse, drained the bank account, and left, left granddad kind of destitute at the end there. So there's kind of little nuggets like that. Not all, you know, there's a few of those. And most of them are kind of positive. But, yeah, these little things that have happened to me throughout my life. And there's lots of them. So, you know, there's yeah. lots of material for the blog. That's the long-winded answer to your questions. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I loved reading of, about your, you have a few blogs about kata about the idea of doing it properly, like doing it the proper way. And you right. give the example of rice farming, Japanese rice farming. Can you yes. explain that a little bit? I love that part. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, so wet rice farming, um, you know, was introduced um, from China, of course, like as much as it was uh, it, very early on. And what had happened was, you know, the Japanese um, uh, would have had to get together in communities in order to to build these these wet rice farms and in order to uh, you know uh, have successful crops and you know no, we know that that can't be done when you're fighting with your neighbors right so you know there's a process that came through the wet rice farming that that kind of instilled the um, you know the uh, you know the the spirit of cooperation and how things are done with form and process and order. And, you know, I believe that the Japanese, the reason why the society, not all the time, but most of the time works in a harmonious manner is because this is a, this is based just fundamentally an inbred, 
inherent trait in, in the Japanese based upon the fact that they had to cooperate with wet rice farming. And, you know, when the, when the, when the, you know, when somebody says, Oh, I'm going to do it my way this time. And, you know, then the crop fails, you know, that's the problem. So, so this is a historical kind of fact that the Japanese have been raised and have, uh, you know, uh, gone through their, uh, you know, uh, lives um, bound to order, form, and process. This is just something that cannot ever be changed inside the Japanese, is what I gleaned from that. Yeah. There's a beautiful quote here. The process of rice farming was prescribed down to the last detail, and the lifestyle accompanying wet rice farming instilled the Japanese with an extraordinary degree of patience, perseverance, diligence, cooperativeness, and group dependence. And I, I think we hear this when I've talked to farmers in the series and they talk about how uh, farming in Japan is so hard. And of course, younger generation are less eager to get into it, especially the price points. There's, there's not much um, profits to be made for all the hard, hard work. Um, but you take it a little bit further. You, you talk about... Uh, how the kata of writing kanji characters, for example, the kata of doing work the right way, also makes the Japanese market a more kind of, they are ready to perceive import goods at a higher, they have a more critical eye. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, you know, the job again, so... Um, the Japanese uh, have a, uh, you know, as you said, the critical eye is really, really, really important in the Japanese. And, um, you know, it's just through the time that they're being raised as children. It's just like they're, you, you have to you have to kind of go into the box and do the form and order part of everything. But, you know, this this where they're looking at things with a critical eye. And, um, you know, this is historical, you know, the, the art and the beauty of the Japanese um Crafts cannot be understated, you know, even just simple lacquerware is just these incredible pieces of art. And it's not only a, a pro taking pride or just like, you know, just doing doing it um, because it should be done that way. It should be beautiful. For example, the chest of drawers, you know, the back of the chest of the drawers doesn't have to have a finished back, but the Japanese want to finish it because it's not a complete work without that. Whereas, for example, in the Western mindset or i guess what we could call the occidental mindset it's just okay well this is good enough it serves its purpose and you know beauty doesn't really come into that so i think that there's that that you know that thing where they 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 look at things and they say well there's there's this something can be improved so there's that feeling of kaizen you know that the japanese always have in them that they want to improve stuff and it's not like they're looking and nitpicking well actually it might be because i did a podcast called you know knit you know the arasagashi which is you know where is that thread hanging out of there well you know but that whole thing and and you know the, the historically the japanese had made these you know these beautiful um, anything you know kitchenware or whatever and then of course you know the the this changed after the war and you know the people came in and we just they wanted to manufacture and that and then the japanese had to you know kind of ride that pony but as soon as they were out from under that you know the thumb of the merchants that wanted them to make as many you know cheap toys as possible then you saw the beauty of the Japanese aesthetics come right back into the into their thing. So, you know, yes, they are a bit nitpicky, but if you can make it in Japan with your product, you can make it anywhere. This is the, this is the acid test for it, you know. 
and most of the many of the companies just don't bother because you know there's just there's many other markets why bother with the japanese it's just too frustrating but i find that an, an interesting challenge i'm sorry did that answer your question yeah absolutely and okay. it's a it's a great way to transgress into your import business that you're doing and how you've been able to use your years of experience in business or understanding this concept um, to import health foods. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, I, I love uh, the Japanese diet so much, fish, vegetables, and rice. That's the basis. This is where it all started. So, you know, I love the Japanese diet so much. It's always, to me, it's a healthy diet. Um, I live in a very, very, um, you know, uh, beautiful agriculture area, you know, our farmer market is just, you know, full of fresh, tasty vegetables, you know, and uh, uh, so the um, uh, the food that the Japanese are eating now are is significantly different from the food that they were eating 34 years ago when I first came to Japan. You know, I'd, I the smaller supermarkets were kind of just that. You know, there was there was uh, the middle aisles didn't really exist so much as per se. You know, it had the oils and the you know the dry goods and those things in there. But as as time has marched on and and the the influence of you know uh, the well, you know I guess I'd have to say the Americans you know in in the food because it's convenient now, right? So the, you know the shelf life is important in that. But as the Japanese are starting to eat more and more unhealthy food, we can also see a significant increase in autoimmune disease and, and things of this nature with the Japanese, which I find fairly distressing because they're, 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 they've moved away from this, this kind of healthy, you know, really, uh, you know, basic, uh, beautiful diet. So, you know, I, I thought a long time, you know, uh, I don't know, a few years ago now, I met somebody who was, you know, um, involved in the what's known as functional food business. So he, he kind of mentored me into, um, you know, uh, what can we do to help the Japanese, you know, to have a different, you know, shift a little bit away from, you know, all the processed chemicals and all this. And uh, there I, so there I uh, started to import um, organic berry powders and uh, vegetable powders and fruit powders. And also, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the power of the hemp plant, too, as well. So hemp is such a beautiful food. It's, it's, it's full of, you know, nutrients. And, um, you know, I don't know why there was that long history where, you know, you're not allowed to have hemp. But we all, I also import hemp seeds and hemp protein from Canada. And the, uh, the berry powders and fruit powders and vegetable powders all come out of California. But it's, they're, they're made globally in many different places. And I have a a dear business associate that that uh, has been very successful in that business in the United States, but the point is, is that we'd like to bring these foods in and start to you know add them to the food chain where where there's a little bit of mitigation of these unhealthy things with healthier things, which are known as functional foods. So if you drink a, a glass of milk, which you don't, and neither do I, it says fortified with vitamin D. Well, that vitamin D is what's known as the functional food. So, you know, we're going to be seeing a, a more and more of the organic things coming up. Um, more, more manufacturers are starting to look for um, these, these things to put in their foods to um, just add these extra nutrial, uh, nutritional um, profiles to, to the food. So this is really what I'm doing now um, since, oh, uh, well, the website just started up about a year and a half ago. But I've been, I've been you know, working on it for, for quite a while. So I'd like to, you know, be a, a participant in the change towards a healthier, 
um, you know, eating style for the Japanese. Um, not to say that I don't eat the odd jelly bean here or there, or, you know, but uh, yeah. So, you know, I just, I just really, and there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity to bring these kinds of foods to Japan in the future too as well. So just the basis of my business now is the importation of organic or conventional berry fruit and vegetable powders. And as I see things that are coming along, um, I'm going to add them to the website so that people can have access to those and explore these new areas of food. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of why I got into that. So Interesting. Yeah. And I've uh, we talked to Thomas Klepper, who's an organic farmer in Hiroshima, and he did research on hemp uh, plants and hemp seeds. And I talked to somebody else in the series, it's escaping me now, um, but they were importing hemp seeds, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they had a bit of trouble because of the misunderstanding, right. hemp versus marijuana. Correct. Um, but I do see CBG oil in some of the shops in Japan. So maybe it's becoming easier to import hemp, is it? Yeah, it, it, it has to be. Um, you know, hemp has been, we've been able to import hemp. Um, there's just, you know, the, the government documents, you just have to have those ready and, and done properly. So we had a uh, an experience with the Japanese government where they asked us to do a test where they were, um, to whether the seed would sprout or not. So it, it didn't. So, you know, that, that was a cost that we had to go through. So we, we, we know that, you know, that the government's doing that for certain reasons. Um, even though they were hauled hemp seeds, the shell had been taken off. So they're what are known as hemp hearts. So, you know, of course, they're not going to be able to sprout because they're not the actual seeds. The husk is removed and you have that beautiful meaty, um, nutty, uh, uh, you know, high in, uh, you know, uh, antioxidants. And uh, so but we did have to go through that test. But yeah, the you know, the, the, Japan has a very, very long, long history of hemp cultivation. Before the before the Second World War, there was you know I don't know thirty eight thousand hectares of hemp being processed. You know, the emperor has uh, you know is deeply associated with the with the royal family. Uh, you know, the imperial family. Excuse me, not the royal, the imperial family of Japan. Um, you know, there's hemp rope on t- on shrines. Um, in, you know. in terms of sustainability, hemp is a fantastic plant because it, <laughs> it cleans the soil. It oh, grows what? really fast. It's mm-hmm. multi-use at, mm-hmm. after. You can eat it. You can wear it. You can use it as rope. It's very, very great material. We hope to see more of it. Um, what is the the health benefit of hemp? I, I see it now in my supermarket. I see it in Costco. Uh, hemp seeds added to cereals or mm-hmm. added in, in anything you eat. Um, it just adds a bit of vitamins and minerals. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's high in... Um, well, you kind of got me there. I could run down the list here. But yeah, it's, you know, you can do... There's many things you can do with it. Um, amino, amino... Uh, Yes, indeed. So yeah, it's 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 just high. It's rich in vitamins and minerals. What what, what am I looking for? It's the the medium chain triglycerides that uh, reside in those. Um, yeah, and also you know hemp is used for fuel too as well. Let's be let's be clear about this too as well. So you know um, what is the history of hemp? I, you know I urge all of your viewers to go have a real a really good close look at why hemp was banned, why the cultivation of this amazing product which actually um, many people say that and um, uh, that we 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 uh, co-evolved with this as the humans and you know we were using this plant for you know eons 
And I just, it's time for this, this to come back to Japan. It's time for these, these rules or these laws that are not really applicable to the sustainability and the forward growth of humanity to get off the books. Now, whoever put those on there should, you know, needs to have a spanking. And let's get back to this. For example, if you're growing hemp in, excuse me, in Fukushima, you would be sucking so much of the poison out of the, out of, out of the soil and the earth that, you know, so why aren't they doing that? Well, you know, the GHQ said we're not allowed to. Well, you know, so the GHQ said a lot of things, but, you know, um, you know, and some of the things were good, some, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not here to debate that discussion. But, you know, let's look at the facts, you know, um, and again, the Japanese have the misconception, which has been misinformation. Hemp is not the same as marijuana. It's different. There's, but, you know, they've lumped it all into one. So all of a sudden, everything's bad. But if we look at the actual evidence concerning these things, we know that, you know, the, the, the lies are the lies and the truth is the truth. That's it, you know. So. And, and hemp is, is a great cover crop as well. Um, it can grow really easily without pesticides. So it's it's a great crop, like you said, for Fukushima or areas where the land is not in use right now, but it can help with recovery. Yes. Um, another thing which I'm seeing in rural areas, uh, disused farmland, is solar panels. Um, yes. As a segue, I know that you just got a solar and battery system. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, you bet. Oh, I, I, you know, we were, we, we had the, we had the megaphone up here a couple of years ago in Chiba Prefecture, and just it blew over a couple of large, you know, tower, um, you know, electrical tower pillars, you know, the big, the big, big, big ones. So we were without power for three days, but my friends were out power down in down towards the Boso Hanto in that area. It was just that they were down for like two weeks because they, you know, it was they couldn't just rebuild this massive pillar at once. So um, my um, extraordinary wife and partner, um, Asko, she was, I said, look, we, let's go look around and find out how we can, you know, let's get something going here. So she uh, found this company. And, uh, you know, this is another uh, reason why I, I like to live here. It's just like the extraordinary service that you can still get here, especially in companies like this, when it's, it's, a, it's a large bill, right? So it's a large, it's a large ticket item. And we were just, we were taken through the whole process. Everything was really, really easy to understand. Um, the second time that the guy came, he had a full a solar array mapped out onto our roof from the satellite images. You know, everything was really, really explained very clearly. And, uh, you know, the incredible thing about this solar system is that it's, it works with a, a, the, an artificial intelligence, an AI system. So it's hooked up to the, the Wi-Fi. And, you know, the power is, is um, very cheap in the middle of the night because, as we know, you know, electricity runs. It's a current. You can't, ca you know, there's no holding it in the tank, right? So it just runs through. So our battery um, will buy the power from the electrical company at night at a very, 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 uh, you know, the cheapest rate. And then when the sun comes up in the morning, um, the, you know, our solar panel, our beloved solar panels kick in and start to create electricity for our house. And then more often than not, during the day, there's way more power being generated during the day. Um, and uh, we don't use all that power. So that gets sold back at the peak time where it's the most expensive. And the Japanese government has mandated or so the Japanese government has mandated that these power companies buy it back. So we sell it back to them. And then when we're in some expensive times, the battery will start to go down. 
So it's an incredible system. We, we love our solar panels. You know, we, we're, we're excited. Yesterday I had my biggest day ever of, of 24 kilowatts because it was a totally sunny day. You know, it's kind of joyful too as well. We wake up, you know, the sun's out. We're kind of, you know, we're not only happy it's sunshine, but we're happy that we're selling power to the solar or to the electrical company to just make a small, small little difference. However so, small. So how big is your array? It's pretty big, actually. You know, I, I uh, just to describe, I live, I live on a, a piece of property in the country, so I don't have any neighbors. And I imported a house from Canada about 20 years ago, all the lumber, and I have some carpenter friends that came over and built it. So it's, it's quite, it's, in the Japanese eyes, it's a large house. For me, it's kind of like a normal Canadian house. But there's about, there's 27 panels on the top of the house, so, yeah. Or... MW, how do they, we have a solar array and I think it's three kilowatt system is quite a small standard yeah. one. Ours is many, I don't know. <laughs> Ours is a lot. Okay. And uh, the system you're talking about to get uh, feeding into the system and getting paid back is wonderful. And we did that for 10 years. Um, just to warn people after 10 years, um, the local utility only needs to buy the energy that you sell for seven yen. But yeah. when we were in this 10 year happy zone, uh, they were buying it at 40 yen. So we, mm -hmm. we actually had money back from the utility more than we were buying energy from the utility every month. So we were able to pay off our, our panel investment um, in about eight years, I think. Are you, you finding that that seems to be working in that way for you? Absolutely, you bet. It's certainly too as well as the days get longer in that. And you know, I do like to I do like to point out to everybody who lives in Japan, even even my friends in Hiroshima, I live in sunny Chiba. The typhoons always go over the, to the other side and that this whole this peninsula just stays in the sunshine. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then, um you also have batteries. I haven't gotten the home batteries yet. Cool. Um, so having that extra battery, of course, it's more initial investment, yes. um, but you can utilize your own solar energy a bit better. Absolutely. Right. Well, this is, okay, have you ever spent three days without power? No. Good. Lucky you. Um, we did, and I don't want to ever do that again. So actually, there's a system too as well when it does, when the lights do shut off, for example, some other kind of, uh, you know, uh, power outage. Um, we can just flick a switch and our entire first floor goes back onto electricity. The refrigerators run, the toilets flush. And I have a well here. I don't live, I'm not on city water and the well works too as well. So we're good. We got, we got, uh, lights and water. That's awesome. two of my favorite things. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, do you mind telling us how much the system costs? Um, uh, no, I don't. As a matter of fact, um, uh, it's it was a little bit expensive, but you know, again, we we we. Uh, I'm not. I I don't actually. I'm not a guy who would go out and take a loan on anything. I don't have any car loans or anything like that whatsoever. But this one was such a special deal, and the interest rate is basically was as about as close to zero as it gets. So we just took out a, a loan, and it all pays for itself. So we don't pay for our power anymore. We just pay the loan back. It was two point seven million yen. What? That's so cheap, yeah. to be honest, because we, I guess this is uh, when you get in early to the system, you pay more early yeah. adopters, right? But we, yeah. we paid two million just for the solar panels. 
Okay. And we only have three kilowatts and we don't have batteries. So the prices have really uh -huh. come down. No, this is wonderful. This is how things should work, right? That was well sure. over I well over 13 years ago. So yeah. it's still working. We still have clean, renewable energy on our roof. No nice. complaints, right? Mm. Um, but fabulous, fabulous for people looking to get into this investment now. Um, Absolutely. It's wonderful. Sure. And, the, you know, there's lots of companies out there. And, you know, um, I wrote a blog about the, the solar, the personal solar farm is what it's called. But at the very end of the blog, you know, I, I, I do I do make up the point. And, you know, this is I'd like to be clear on this. You know, we we're here today because of, um, you know, of of the fossil fuels and the, the things that were you know burnt to bring us here. So how do we. You know, how are we going to move away from this properly? We have to think about these things, but we also have to be respectful of, you know, like the reason why we are here is because of that. You know, we we don't have to agree, you know, with the continuing, you know, uh, you know, like pillaging of the earth. But as as I see more more and more people going, you know, you know, we have to we have to go, you know, and and get rid of all of these all of a sudden. So there's just kind of like this, you know, sudden sudden change of of things. But you know, electricity is 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 our best friend and we have to live in harmony with it and you know you're doing your part i'm doing my part many people are doing their parts but you know as i pointed out i have friends that don't live in the first world and their their main concern is bringing their family out of you know not poverty but you know everybody wants to see see that you have a life that they see on tv you know so we have to you know people like us who've you know benefited greatly from these things you know, as we as we you know move forward with a sustainable um, you know uh, outlook on the future, you know how can we uh, continue to you know uh, uh, increase the renewables, uh, decrease the non-renewables? But you know where are these new where are these new paradigms that are going to come where where we can all you know have a benefit of what electricity brings to everybody, and that is civilization. Sorry. Important point. And as, as someone with solar on your roof, it's such a nice feeling knowing that whatever energy you're creating cleanly in a, mm -hmm. from the sun that you don't use is going to your neighbors. Exactly. So you are also a provider of renewable energy, which is, which is so nice. Yes. Um, now that we've passed our 10-year zone, I recently switched over to renewable energy sourcing from, I know you can choose your energy source now in Japan, but we had a real shock um, in February when everybody had a cold snap and everybody was using lots of energy and it was cloudy. So our renewable energy source was the most expensive ever. We oh. had the highest bills we've ever had. So it was a real wake-up call to yeah. also maybe problems with um, the free energy exchange system. It's sometimes you have to keep an eye on it, be very careful of your energy use. I mean, yeah. so the battery system is much more attractive to us now. Um, because if we can keep that energy that we're creating, which is renewable, and then utilize that, later in the day that would be a lot more cost effective Absolutely. for us than selling uh, it to the grid because they're not paying us enough for that value right no no get your battery and you know props to you for going in on early on that too as well because i did look at it earlier on and it was really expensive and there wasn't the technology the battery technology like there was now so you know a lot being 
you know, I just hesitated on it for a while. You know, it's just like power in Japan is not all that expensive, by the way. I find power to be very reasonable in Japan, you know. But uh, just it didn't seem practical to spend all that money and not be able to preserve it. In, so my, my main thing was just like I don't want to be without water or electricity in a blackout for three days. You know, I can't I, – and now I can fill up water jugs for people who can't. You know, I can, the bath is going to be available for people who need a bath. You know, who knows, you know, how that's going to work. But Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Well, well done. Good for you. I'm so glad to hear about your system. I'm excited oh, to start I'm, recommending I'm, that. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, let's switch gears a bit sure. back to your podcast blog, talking yeah. about obligation, because I think the whole concept of hospitality, obligation, omotenashi, is mm -hmm. very important to Japanese culture, but also really nice to know about before you visit Japan. It's one of the most appealing things about Japan as a destination. Can you talk about your blog mm -hmm. a little bit? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we don't really understand in the Occidental mindset about what, what, an, what an obligation. They, we don't really have that in our mind and nor do the Japanese, but they do in their subconscious. It's just like, you know, and we're all obligated to we're all obligated. You know, it's just like the Japanese just know that um, more. You know, it's just like all, all societies run on 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 this. But this is just, um, you know, the Japanese understand that. Um, you know, children are obligated to their teachers, to their older, you know, like depending on your pecking order and the thing, it's just like, it's, it's pretty structured here. But I think, you know, um, if you, uh, have an obligation to somebody, you're also, you know, you also have a common bind for some, you're bound to them, you know? So I have an obligation to my neighborhood to go and, you know, mow the lawn and clean up the yard once every quarter. You know, I have an obligation to my neighborhoods, you know, to throw my garbage away properly. Atarimai. But not everybody, you know, not. It's just, this is the difference, I believe, is between. OK, so, Miss um, Walsh, the the Occidental mindset where it's just like, you know, it's an individual we're we're individuals. It's 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 an individual society. We, we, we go forward. You know, we um, you know. It's, it's that rugged individualism thing as opposed to the – and you don't – you know, people who are rugged and individual don't really have – they don't feel – they have an obligation to anybody. They have an obligation to their own vision, whatever that may be. But that not so in Japan because, of course, you know, the wet rice farm, you have an obligation to your farmer to make sure that you don't, you know um, – get out go outside of the protocol where your crops is going to fail or something like that so i believe that this is also what makes this society unique and also um you know smooth smooth along and there's a lot of people here like i mean you know some people do fall you know fall over the edge and you know do crazy things in japan but you know on the whole i think because they understand that we have an obligation to our teachers teachers have an obligation to the student it's a mutual it's a mutual binding of of our communities yeah. is how, how I believe the Japanese think. You're, you're in your podcast, you're talking about on and giri. And yeah. we, we just last week, we had a white day, which yes. is, which is a, a giri on giri, right? An obligation yes. on obligation. Mm -hmm. So Valentine's Day, for anybody who doesn't know in Japan, Valentine's Day on February 14th is usually celebrated just from women to men. And then White Day, which we just had last week, is the day when men should pay back in chocolates to women. 
And I mean, typically that's, that's how it goes. Now, often in your workplace, a lot of women would feel obligation or giddy to give chocolate to any male in the office, whether there's no romantic feelings or not. This is just about obligation and gift giving. And so Japan has adopted a lot of these Western cultures, but twisted it into a very interesting Japan-only kind of tradition. Sure. Right? It's so Mm. interesting. And that's so connected to Mm. on and giri, for sure. Yeah. Ongaishi, you know, the like the returning the returning of a favor is just like so paramount. Not just in, in Japan, but if you'd like to kind of have a more um Asian societies run on this. This is how it runs over here, and that's not so in the Occidental mindset, right? So this is the thing that you and I have a like a bit of an advantage to over people who are unaware of these things. And in, indeed, in Japan, and to maybe much more of a higher degree than other parts of Asia, I'm not really sure. But we understand the mindset of both of these things, so we can, you know, we can see a, a we can see these, you know, these um, different worlds that are just not accessible to people that don't understand these concepts. You don't have to speak Japanese, but you have to, you know, for example, if you'd like to understand more about this, you know, go and have a look at the uh, the six part series of of kata, right? What is kata? Why is kata important in that? So, you know, we have the ongaishi too, which I really, really, I really, you know, I, I think it's incredibly important. It's just, of course, when somebody does something for you, you know, you, you do something back. But, you know, this can also escalate into what I know, what I call gift wars too as well. So it kind of got to get over a little, a little bit overboard sometimes. But yes, you know, people who have done things for you, um, I've had strangers, you know, show up and uh, really just like very early on in Japan, um, you know, I was... Uh, kind of at a crossroads you know what am i going to do and uh just all out of the blue this this japanese fellow was just like um he's just like well i have this situation here you know i have this building you're welcome to come here i'll help you get set up just like that and it's just like he didn't ask for anything he didn't expect anything he says you know here i'll just I'll, I'll, i'll just take a little bit of you know off your and this is how can i how can i repay this man i can't because he didn't ask for it but it, it instilled in me that this is kind of a, a an innate, uh, you know, f- way the way of the Japanese kind of thing. So I just I was very very, you know, uh, you know, uh, honored and and humbled by by the attitude of this man towards this, you know basically a stranger uh, very early on in my journey in Japan. Yeah. So. I love I love that concept that you said you've adopted uh, carrying around small gifts when you travel anywhere in the world. And I grew up, I think this comes from Japanese culture as well. I grew up in Hawaii, never feeling like I could go to anyone's house without taking a small gift. Now, I don't know if this comes from the influence in Hawaii from Japanese culture, but it's definitely the same in Japan. You would never want to visit someone's house or even meet an old friend in a cafe without giving a small gift, right? And that's such a beautiful thing about Japanese culture. Mm, I totally agree. Yeah, you know, the and uh, taking gifts and giving people gifts along the way. For example, um, you know, when you're going to different uh, different countries and that, it's just like it really it really leaves it leaves a deeper mark on on that that ichigo ichie. Yeah. 
you know they you know i'm sure you, so you know that 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 well, once in a lifetime the one situation you're going to meet this the person once you're going to have that time it's going to be captured there forever and you know if it's just if it's this this then that's what it is but oh you know miss walsh gave me this really really f- f- you know fun keychain from hiroshima and it's just like you know they'll never forget that so that's that's the kizuna disney yeah that's the kizuna, that's uh making good I, connections with people yeah. right no yeah. no translation whatsoever no, no translation really yeah, suitable but so any- it was really interesting i um just last week i did a monitor uh consulting trip to a small destination famous for kagura mm. and one of the participants he is lived in japan for a while and he said it would be wonderful if even as guests we took a small gift before this troop showed us their rehearsal and let us in because we want to thank them you know and i thought that was so insightful on Mm -hmm. his part to realize that and then our guide our japanese guide said oh yeah i gave them a small gift but why not incorporate that gift giving even from the visitor to the group that's treating you with some experience as part of travel I, I love that idea that you could include the traveler in the gift giving mm-hmm. exchange, right? It's so wonderful. Yes, totally agree. I absolutely. You know, uh, Junkatsuyu, right? It's it's the it's the lubricant of life. Miss Walsh is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You you also I think on the blog or another podcast you talk about the wa, the idea of the Shinto wa. Can mm. you explain that a little bit? So key. Yes, yeah, you know, um, what, like, the, mm, so, you know, right? Japanese, nope, I, nope. so, you know, it's, I'm so, sorry, I missed it? What, harmony, I mean, it's often roughly translated as harmony, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yes, harmony, that's correct, ma'am, you know, and, and, you know, the Japanese name is, uh, you know, uh, big harmony, right, so, I know, Yamato, right, so, um, yeah, the, 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 it's, again, it's the innate, um, how can you say it's just like you the Japanese are raised with the concept of harmony you know ingrained as 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 a baby right you know you you see the heart not all the time you know let's let's be clear about this you know Japan has its own circumstances instead of societal problems as well I'm not I don't have rose colored glasses on I've seen everything in Japan but fundamentally there's a, uh, a feeling of we, we want to maintain harmony for the good of the community, not the individual. And I know that I know that a lot of people from the Occidental world and the Western mindset will just that, that's kind of like, well, you know, you're going to where where's the individual in that? It's, they're there. We are there. But we're also we're also looking at the group. How can we make our group more, you know, how can we maintain the harm, harmony in our group? Like, the, you know, like the farmers had to do that. Like there must be harmony or death. You know, if you're not harmonious, you're out of the village and that's the end of your life. Right. So I, so, so the, the concept of harmony is, you know, it's not a woo woo. Oh, we're all in harmony. We, we, that's not it. It's, it's a, it's a binding of the community. It's, it's a, having the community, um, you know, Look after the children of the community, you know, showing them, you know, by, by um, you know, how we all go and, you know, mow the lawn together, 
you know, as the school children are riding, all you know, all the all of the old men are out mowing the lawn together because it's our communal space. And we like to have, you know, we pick up the garbage, blah, blah, blah. That's those are that's just that's harmony. You know, like mowing the lawn is harmony. Come on, JJ. <laughs> Being out sweeping leaves is harmony. harmony. Having community cleanup day. Passing on the community information board. This oh. is this is harmony in Japan, right? This is this is all part of Japanese oh. life. You also have a you also have a kairanban. Oh yes. Right, so the, the, the bulletin board comes. Isn't that cool? You know, I mean, it's probably pointless information on most of it, but it, there's sometimes it's, you know, it's useful, right? So yeah. No, it, it connects you to your community. It Absolutely. tells you what event the local neighborhood is doing or when the cleaning day is or somebody put out garbage on the wrong day. Please don't do that again. So it's, it's kind of soft pressure in a way too, mm -hmm. right? Uh, people trying to get along. And uh, finding a way to do that. Um, I love this from your blog. You say, in order to have a deeper understanding of Japanese society and the foundation of WA, one can always consider WA to be the central pillar of Japanese cultural influencing Japan in its texture, essence, spirit, and in the continuing evolution of the Japanese way. I mean, it's it's a beautiful quote, and I often think, you know, I'm in Hiroshima, so people often talk about wa as a, as a way to peacefully move forward as well. Um, but I think we we might be missing our link to the environmental problems or to societal problems um, by thinking we do have wa in many ways in Japan. A lot of the problems we're seeing are a disconnect in society between what we think is happening and what is actually happening. Yeah. And then you have problems with Japanese culture, with people feeling pride and not wanting to ask for help when they need help. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's complicated. It's not simple, but it's definitely a cultural aspect that visitors or residents should be aware of because it's a very deep-rooted in Shinto religion, in the traditions, in the culture, right? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, it's JJ. You just, you just. I, I just wanted to kind of mention something too, as well, because I, I firmly believe this deep in my, deep in my soul is that, um, you know, that when you ask a Japanese person, you know, well, what's the religion of Japan? They will say we don't have one. Is basically the answer you get, and I don't really think that you can. Can can categorize Shintoism as a religion. By the way, I really think that Shintoism is basically a way of life. It's the way. So you know, I, when I when I when I hear the with the word religion and put this into religious connotations, it really really it, it really divides everybody up into these segments. Which which I I really I I have never felt for many 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 years. I feel a, I feel a oneness. You know. With people who think the you know think the way not the way I do, but people who are uh, understanding of the concept of wa, and you know the Japanese um, you know apparently the emperors you know um, goes back twenty six hundred years, which is you know basically the oldest still you know civilization that's on Earth, um, you know uh, after the collapse of those other great empires, but you know just the the, the kata the uh, the way uh, the the process and all of these things. These, these, this is Shintoism in, in, you know, in, in practice, 
how we treat each other, how we think about wah, how we think about, you know, raising children, you know, um, how we think about, uh, you know, uh, dealing with problems, you know, like, you know, there's not a lot of lawsuits going on in Japan because it all stops before that because people, you know, not all the time, of course, but, you know, people prevail because it's, it's mandated by Amaterasu Omikami-sama, the son of the goddess, you know, of the sun, that everybody get along and grow rice. And this is why we need wa. And we not, not only need wa in Japan, we need this wa to permeate throughout the world too as well. Because if we, if we need anything, especially because I, you know, I have a lot of American friends. I really do. I love them all dearly. But when I see what's going on there, I'm just thinking to myself, these guys have just forgot what wa is. And we need to reintroduce that to them so everybody can just like, you know, go into wa. Yeah. And and I think, you know, now that I'm in in kind of research mode during coronavirus stay at home time, um, building foundations, what can I use in the future? Blogs and podcasts like yours are so useful because when I do consulting, if I talk about the Japanese concept of wa in terms of hospitality, in terms of marketing your business, there's so much more influence there. If I only talk about my perspective from the outside, from the Western country, it kind of goes over their head or it's not, it just doesn't hit as well. But if I can connect what I'm trying to say about seeking sustainability or choosing better options which are more sustainable, helping local people, helping the environment, and this connects to wow, or this connects to hakanai, which I want to talk about next. Um, it has so much more like power in mm-hmm. in my advice. And so as a guide, as a consultant, as someone doing business in Japan, as someone visiting Japan, if you understand these these terms and the power that they have in Japanese culture, it can really enhance your work experience, your visit experience, your life here. I think it's really important. Yes, yes, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And you can also actually use that as a fun, um, you know, like as a sound basis to start to work on your inner self too as well, where maybe you're not aware of some of these things, you know, because how could anybody know what these things are unless, you know, unless somebody explained it to them or you read a book about it. And it's just like people don't do that. But I, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, you know, this is something people can use to, you know, add to their life, you know, like, you know, Plus, you know, plus out of five, you know, just add these things in. And, uh, you know, I just, what you said is really, really, I totally agree. It's just, you know, you can explain it as a concept or you can, you know, like put it into a context, a context of this is why why is important. And, and you can see why in, 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 in action throughout Japan. And just, just let me, a quick story. My, my, uh, my beloved wife met a woman from Israel many years, uh, several years ago when she was her personal guide on a tour. And, you know, this woman um, is a, uh, uh, she lives in Tel Aviv or near Tel Aviv. And I, I just talked to her the other day and she says, you know, I just miss so J- Japan so much because just the calmness and the harmony and the peacefulness about it. But she does live in Tel Aviv. So I says, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a contrast. But she's just so longing for Japan and she has a very open heart. So like she just got flooded with the, with it when she came. But, you know, there's this, like, many people, not all, you know, some people dislike Japan for, for, for their own personal reasons. And, again, that's fine as well. 
But many, many, many people, and as you and I know now, when they come here and they experience the omotenashi and the true essence of the way the Japanese people are as humans, it's just like, the, it's just like oh, you know, well, this is, I've never seen anything like this. I've never been anywhere like this. I've never had these kinds of interactions ever. And you can't unless it's here because this is Japan. That's so true. Um, of course, not everybody. There's jerks here, like anybody uh, anywhere else in the world. But you know these lots of them because there's 126 million yes, people. Yes, of and, course. You know, they... <laughs> um, I want to talk about Hakanai because it reminded me. Yesterday we talked about Shojin Yori, and talk about a, a chef and photographer, his partner, who are going around doing this beautiful uh, interview series with people who are involved in traditional food craft in Japan for a great series and talking about appreciating the moment or appreciating the chore. And I gave the example of I like ume blossoms better than sakura blossoms because sakura blossoms are so fleeting. But then going through your podcast and blog, talking about hakanai and the power, like a magical power of cherry blossoms. That's why they're so special is because they're so short-lived. They're so fleeting. They're just a short time. Um, you have this haiku here. If only we might fall like cherry blossoms in the spring, so pure and radiant. So it's, it's a great perspective for life and for how we live our lives that we might not be around forever. You know, we might not have the chances we have now forever. And to take advantage of our situation and the good things about our opportunities? Absolutely. Yes, the concept of, you know, the hakanai, um, just a quick quick um, note on the cherry blossoms there too as well. I just, this is another reason why um, I, I live here is uh, uh, my first year in Japan, I, my very first cherry blossom season, totally unaware of what it was. You never heard about it before. 11, 11 Japanese people um, gather together they bring me in there. My Japanese is basically zero at the point because I'm four months in. And, uh, you know, it's a rollicking party underneath the cherry blossoms. And I'm sitting there just lapping it up and loving every minute of it. But I'm just sitting there by myself. And the, the lady just stopped everybody. She says, look, look, at, look at Steve. Okay, you guys, this is so unfair. He's here. He doesn't understand everything. Everybody has to speak English. I'm just like, no, 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 because you can't, number one, none of you. And I said, I live in Japan, so I'm going to learn your language instead. But I understood the heart of the Japanese person, the inclusiveness, like, okay, you know, this, you know, this white pimple on the side of the sheet is just like, you know, not having a good time. And you, it's all your guys' fault. Everybody, you know, do something that nobody knows how to do in order to accommodate this one guest here, because I am a guest then. It's just like, oh, my, the beauty of the Japanese spirit is just like it was very evident right there. And then, you know, the cherry blossoms are falling down. And, you know, I didn't really, um, you know, being a kind of, you know, I was raised in a pretty, pretty rough environment over there in, in Canada, by the way. You know, it's just like logging, logging uh, was like a major, major, major industry right there. Right. So anyway, um, and it's just like the, the fleeting, the fleetingness of life like the cherry blossoms. So, you know, I, I really have learned how to pick up and enjoy the moment, whether it's, you know, having your cat 
on your lap and you're stroking the cat and but you're not watching TV, you're not listening to anything, you're not looking at your phone, you're just sitting there, you're with your cat. And, uh, you know, or whenever it may be having a, you know, a beautiful meal, or even when you're not having such a good time, you think, you know, this too will pass. I need this in my life for some reason. It's here. But this too will fall away as do the blossoms. Well, that's a beautiful story and such a great example of mm-hmm. true hospitality, true yes. omotenashi. And how many times in consulting or guide training do I say, the best guide, the best business owner is the one who observes the needs of the customer, not giving them what you think they want or what they should have, but actually looking and seeing what the reality is case by case. And I think that's really hard um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of business people in Japan. But like you said, when it's done, when they notice what the need of the situation is and adjust to that, how amazingly generous that hospitality is. That is the true omotenashi we should aim for. Absolutely. In in our personal lives too, right? To, To really see what people need around us and adjust accordingly. I totally agree. You know, sometimes it's a bit of a curse too as well, being so observant about everything. It's just because like, you know, my heart bleeds for some stuff and it's just like, you know, this is really none of my business, you know, but like, why am I feeling, you know, I, it's on me, I guess. But, you know, it's just, sometimes my, my honorable wife says to me, you think too much sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do. Maybe I should just, you know, not think about this very much because it's just like, yeah, I can feel, I can feel the energy around me all the time and, yeah that's that's definitely true yeah Mm -hmm. but um yeah we have to what is it choose your battles yes pick the battles carefully (laughs) for sure battles is something i often think about right you can't lecture everybody about every problem you can't intervene to every problem that you see you have to live your life but if you see an opportunity and you have the time to change and it is the better choice and it will help someone else these are you know choose your battle <laughs> yes yeah pick pick the pick the thing carefully for sure no and you know just just picking up on that too as well i went to colombo sri lanka many many years ago and this was the, the the most abject poverty that i ever seen in my life up until that time and there was like all like beggars all over the place and i you know Coming from, you know, like Canada, having lived in Japan, it's just like, oh, these poor people. So I got five rupee coins and I started handing them out. And then I thought, this is not, you know, this is the given the person a fish kind of thing. And um, and after I give out all my five rupee coins, I'm going to be the next beggar. So I just had to kind of turn that around. And, you know, like, yeah, I can't help everybody in Sri Lanka. But. You know, many of uh, several years later, I was at a gas stand. There was a Sri Lankan man with two big cans of kerosene in his hands. He it was raining and he was going to walk down the street. And I just waved him over the van, told him to get in. Well, where do you live? I'll, I'll deliver you there. And, you know, I had a, I had an extra 10,000 yen note in my pocket. And I just, you know, I flipped it, flipped it to him. And I said, listen, uh, you know, um, I understand. Congratulations for being into Japan. We talked about it. He had a couple of children, you know, his Sri Lankan wife. And, you know, it's just like I felt, I felt, I don't know, just, it's not charity. I just, you know, here, here's an extra little kicker. And uh, I never, you know, who knows who he is? I don't know who he is. It doesn't matter. But, you know, as opposed to handing out, you know, five, five rupees to everybody in Sri Lanka, maybe this made more of an impact. I don't really know. And it's not, it is what it is. 
you know, in the moment, ephemeral. Yeah, in the in the moment, and it it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. Follow your heart. You Absolutely. know, it's not a bad thing to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining today. We had a great discussion about many things from your blog blog and podcast, which is really worth seeking out. Everybody have a look at Japan of the Rising Sun. You're on Facebook as well. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. You can go to um, Land of the Rising Sun is my my page. Um, I have a personal page there, too, as well, which I that's where my cat pictures go. And I also, you can catch me on Twitter at at Cyber Sensei. So I'm on Twitter. I, I you know, I, I, I'm not that active on Twitter. I do enjoy, I do enjoy watching uh, the Twitter feed, uh, yours and Mochiron as well. And uh, yeah, if you just drop by um, landoftherisingsun.com, feel free to leave me a voicemail. There's a ask anything button there if you want to just ask anything. Um, I like to talk to people. Um, you know, next time you're up in our area, JJ, you're welcome to come over. We have an extra guest room here. I like to cook. Cut three shrines right over there. Wow. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, can't wait. I'm can't welcome. wait to get around and traveling again. You know, yeah, things are a bit more normal. And your yep. your eternity eternity is that right? Yes, eternity um, is is only in Japanese right now. But if people are interested in the products, they could contact you through Land of the Rising Sun or through Absolutely. a message. You bet. Yeah, if you can't read that, there's a blog there in Japanese about superfoods. Um, lots of really good information. Um, my my uh, extraordinary partner writes a blog twice a week, puts it up. There's some smoothie recipes there. Um, Yes, have a look. It's all in Japanese. That's only going to be in Japanese. It's for the Japanese market. So right, right. you can buy your berry powder, fruit powder, and, and stuff there. But uh, yeah, feel free to drop me a line. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining today. And uh, we didn't have any comments or questions, but I hope that you jo- you enjoyed what we were talking about. And if you have any questions or comments, please make sure to write them below, and we will try to reply. I'm showing your YouTube channel with your cats you've got such cute cats pretty cute yeah Yeah. so nice and you you were talking about spading and neutering them which we've done as well for the cats that we've adopted yes always a good point to do yes absolutely spade your animals neuter your animals please yes we have lots of cats in japan and they all need a home so many strays yeah Yeah. adopt them if you can catch spade and release and the ones that are little will become great pets we've we've had great uh pet we've got four i believe you have five is that right yes 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 (laughs) who knows what's going to happen in the future but yeah we have a pretty nice little society yeah i like that ours are in-house cats only though they don't go outside so they're Mrs. my 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 missus has vetoed the outside for these guys yeah yeah i understand that um Mm. so thank you so much steve that was great today uh, please join us again. You've got so much to talk about. Maybe sure. join us again in a few months. We'll have another discussion. You, yeah, now that we're now that we're we're connected, that's great. Thanks yeah. so much for having me on today. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for joining. Tomorrow, 5 p.m. We're talking to Ria from Kansha Farm. She does an organic farm work down in Kagoshima in Kyushu. So that'll be a nice discussion. Please join us again tomorrow. Take care and have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com 
You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, Coffee, or Haps. Have a great day.